0: How about that worship? Woo! I'll tell you, we can't take for granted what we have here in worship, you know, just the anointing and the talent of Amy and Andy and Brian, Addison, Jake. You know, it's just really remarkable, isn't it? I just man, I was so blessed. I just felt just the Lord really speaking and moving in this in the worship. It's so awesome. But uh, yeah, so I wanna my message this morning is, is on the tree of life. Okay, and uh, if you've heard messages in the past on the tree of life, yeah, there's the tree. You may uh, this may be a little bit different take on it, but I think that'll be good. And uh, actually, last night I've been I've been asking the Lord to show me the tree of life in heaven. And uh, last night, as I lay down to to sleep, uh, I just closed my eyes, and and just so you know, I hadn't been staring in any bright lights or you know anything like that. But all of a sudden, it's just like this kind of window in not as my eyes were closed opened up and I saw a tree that looked it was like the brain it looked like the brain if you just saw the upper part of that tree that's what it looked like and I saw almost like this thing teeming with sparkling life if that makes sense it was almost like it was you know those uh, Christmas trees that have the uh, fibers in them these days it kind of it was kind of almost like that but not like a Christmas tree <laughs> if that makes sense so I was like wow Lord that's that's pretty cool and over the past few weeks the Lord's been teaching me some things I believe about the tree of life and uh so I want to give it a shot and I hope this this is going to be kind of like an introduction message to a series of messages I plan on doing on the tree of life so having said that I do believe that the church is reclaiming the mystic realm and uh I don't know if you guys believe that or not I hope that you do uh in fact Probably one of the first people I ever heard talk about that concept was Bob Jones, who's coming this coming weekend, of course. Um a couple of years ago he was talking about that, and you know, that could bring a lot of persecution <laughs> as a minister of the gospel. He could take a lot of heat for that because whatever anybody's definition of, quote unquote, the mystic realm may be, you know, all depending on that. But in this context, at least for me, I'm talking about the supernatural realm. I'm talking about the kingdom of heaven, in other words, I'm talking about the spiritual world that is all around us that we all live by its principles and we all live accordingly in it, whether we know it or not, or whether we recognize it or not, or like, or like Revelation 2:7 says, that whether we have the ears to hear, and the eyes to see or not, it's all there, right? In fact, I heard uh, one guy talking about this recently. He said, "You know what? I want my crystal back." It's <laughs> like God made crystals not the new agers, so I want this thing back, you know, know, not that he's going to use it for necessarily the same things, but it's just like making a point, you know, I mean, good grief, you mentioned this the other day, Byron, about the rainbow, you know, a few years ago, I remember uh, when I was a kid, my mom happened to be on this kind of bandwagon of kind of anti-rainbow, because it stood for new age things and stuff, and like, for goodness sakes, man, the the rainbow's ours. I want my rainbow back, you know? I mean, come on, let's reclaim these. In fact, if you happen to be from the mountain counties, I I think this is particularly important in the mountain counties. Why? Well, because Asheville and Boone are such epicenters for that type of New Age spirituality and Wicca and all that. I think, man, it's time for the church to step up and say, hey... We possess the power. We possess the real power. The supernatural power of the living God. Right? Let's take these things back. And I think when the church in, in those communities begins to do that, they're going to start walking in a new power and, re- and, uh, and a new authority and displacing some of those strongholds that exist there. So instead of playing defense against the principalities and powers, in other words, the church going on offense. Amen? You following me? So I say all that just to preface... Uh, what I want to share with you on the tree of life. And uh, I'm really excited about this because I think it's really going to help you. Um, now, so I want to basically touch on five key things here. Number one, what, what is it? What is the tree of life as a background? Where is it? Who can access it? How do you access it? And what are the benefits of it? Okay, fair enough. Real practical, real practical insights, yet I think some real spiritual uh, revelation as well that God wants to to, to convey to us this morning. Now, uh, you know, just to set a foundation for this, for the past two and a half years, the Lord's been showing us a lot about the river, right? A lot of, a lot of river talk. There's a lot, of, a lot of stuff out there about the river, you know? And uh, uh, I hadn't seen that much about the tree, but there's a lot of, out there about the river. And uh, just to summarize, in Genesis 2, The Bible teaches there was a river, actually there were four rivers, or one river with four heads, or four channels, four outlets, uh, flowing out of the Garden of Eden, right? Today, how many are left there? Anybody know? Yeah, there's two, Tigris and Euphrates, over in Mesopotamia, actually flow through Baghdad, through Iraq, or one goes through Baghdad. Probably the Garden of Eden was in modern-day Kuwait, southern uh, Iraq, something like that. So... Genesis 22, which we'll get to in a minute. Genesis 22 tells us that there is a river in heaven. Okay, you follow me? A spiritual river in heaven that flows from the throne of God. So what I believe the Bible teaches us is that originally God manifested that what was spiritually in heaven in paradise on earth. It even calls the Garden of Eden paradise. Paradise. So for at one time, that was physically manifested, a river there. Well, what happened? Why isn't it still there? Well, of course, because of Adam's sin. Adam's sin brought a distortion, brought a cor- corruption into the creation, including, it in, many times I think we think of that just in terms of human nature, but no, all that we see out here in the physical creation was corrupted by sin had a devastating effect, so much so that by the time of Noah, God destroyed it all. And so I believe that there were, you know how after Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, God posted angels with flaming swords to guard the entrance so that no human could return to it? I believe that probably those angels stayed there until Noah. They were still there. They're not necessary today because the flood wiped all that out physically. And the whole environment, really, that we live in completely changed. So, as Byron uh, has taught us recently, and, is that today, you know, as Revelation and Ezekiel's vision, of, he prophesied in Ezekiel 47 that the river flows from the throne of God and through Jesus and the piercing of His side where the water flowed out and the renting of the veil, it kind of released... Uh, Well, the open heaven, but also the river of God flowing through the earth, right? And so I know that's a tough pill for for some naturally minded people to swallow, but uh, there's a river that flows through this place and through the earth. How many people have experienced the cleansing streams, the healing streams, the revelatory streams, the prophetic streams? It's a great thing, isn't it? And you don't really realize how real it is until you actually overcome that hurdle of belief in your mind and dare to go there. I I think that's usually most people's experiences, okay? It's the river of the Holy Spirit is the bottom line. The river of the Holy Spirit being poured out. Um, You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about it. If you study church history, the further and further back you get away from the age of science, the more and more you begin to see more uh, spiritual teachings and interpretations of the Scripture. The closer and closer you get to the 20th century, the less and less that is. Why? Because of the age of science. Because science became the God. You You know, Darwin's theory in 1859 and all that. The further and further, from 1859 on, you can track it. Because I was, uh, as Byron has been going through Revelation, I was looking recently, you know, at some of the, uh, <clears throat> the uh, what do you call this thing? Commentaries, thank you. The commentaries <clears throat> on Revelation. I asked Byron the other day, I was like, have you found any good commentaries on Revelation? And he's like, well, not really. And what I meant by that was there's all kinds of analogies and symbolism that is traditionally in the 20th century interpreted out of Revelation. But there's very few people that will go, well, for example, like I just have done, and say, well, you see Revelation 22? This is a river. This river really exists. It still exists and has been released on the earth through Christ and da-da-da-da. Have you ever seen that in a commentary on Revelation? I would venture to say it would be very, very difficult to find. Um... And that's my, that's my belief about why that is. So th- again, I believe we're in the process right now and we are going to and we are reclaiming those mystical concepts, spiritual concepts, to be clear. Um, and and, and, that, and that it's part of the end of the age. It's part of what God's going to do in the last days in it, with His church beginning to walk in just tremendous power and authority and spiritual insight. And it's so exciting, isn't it? I mean, there's there's just so much to this. I just love it because our God is so great. It's all about the Trinity. It's all about the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to send us off on some tangent away from the worship of God, you know? And that's the whole thing about this. And I believe why the church is so, oh, hands-off about, ooh, what are you talking about? You know, is because people have made errors in forsaking the fundamental doctrines of the Bible, you know, and taken the myst- what they would call a mystical realm often to whole other interpretations that completely destroys the divinity of Christ, the inerrancy of Scripture. You know, I was reading a, ch- a church actually based in Charlotte. It's all over the world that, you know, claims it's non-Trinitarian, the doctrine of the Trinity. All these things. And hey, folks, we ain't going there. You know, because what I'm talking about are things that are found in this book. You know? Now, I love what Bill Johnson says about the interpretation of Scripture. He says, God never contradicts His Word, but He loves to contradict our understanding of His Word. You know, and so with that in mind, this is a very important key. Okay, are you following me? Now, let's get to the tree. Again, the river. God, that's so good. And while wow, I was reading Genesis 2. And by golly, there's a tree too. Did you know that? So let's take a look at Genesis 2-9. Uh, Start in verse 8. <clears throat> yeah, go back one. Sorry. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. This is on the sixth day. It's talking about, And there He put the man whom He had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden and from there it parted and became four river heads. Okay, so point number one, what is it? Well, here we see, as I've already mentioned, the tree of life was, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but I'm going to focus on this one tree. The tree of life was a physical uh, creation in the Garden of Eden. Alright, but let's go a little further than that. And actually, if we can skip over to Revelation 22, 2, or start in verse 1, wherever I've got that starting there, uh, Brian. Yeah, Revelation 22. Yeah. No, that's two twenty-two. Do, do I have 22? Okay, well, let me just read it to you real quick. This is really important. Okay, this is Revelation 22:1 and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of it's street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Okay, so there, this is talking about He showed me a pure river in the paradise of God. Okay, in fact, if you go back to Revelation 2-7, He actually says it this way. Uh, This is the angel of the church of Ephesus. He says, to him who overcomes, I'll give to eat from the tree of life, which is where? In the midst of the paradise of God. So that's very clear. The tree right now, is in paradise of God. Well, what's the paradise of God? In heaven. In the heavenly realm. But you see, where, I, you know, where we dare to make the connection is that when we pray, uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, now, as it is in heaven, we're daring to believe that we're actually praying kingdom of heaven, whatever exists in heaven, be made manifest now on the earth. Does that mean physically manifest? No. It means spiritually manifest. It means everything, if we are made up, if we're spirit beings primarily, because God is spirit and we were created in the image of our Father, then whatever is accessible spiritually, only as a Christian, only as a born-again spirit Christian, can we access these things spiritually. Okay, you follow me so far? So that's kind of a foundation for where what it is, and uh, let's also look at Ezekiel forty seven twelve. This is the uh, the the vision of the river that we've we've uh, taught a lot on and heard a lot about. Just to bring you up to speed here, you know, from one to twelve, Ezekiel is taken and he sees this river flowing from the temple, and from the temple, uh, which you know today who's the temple? We are the temple, right? So from the temple, the river's flowing, and then it raises first ankle high, then knee deep, then waist deep, then so high that you have to swim in it. And another interesting thing about the river too is it's teeming with life. It says, uh, 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 somebody had a vision recently of a big salmon. Was that you, Brian? Somebody was telling me about this... (laughs) <laughs> That'll be awesome. But anyway, they, were, they had a dream or something. Anyway, and I was like, "Oh, well, that's, that's the, uh, Ezekiel's vision. In other words, it's denoting that there's just tons and tons of healthy, pure water that's teeming with uh, vigorous life in it. OK, So that's where we're at. Now, along the bank of the river, on this side and that will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not wither, and their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. Okay, we'll come back to that in a minute. Hey, Byron, will you share your experience on Wednesday night about the river? You know that? Will you just share that real quick? You know what you were saying about the height of it and all that? I think that's really important for people to hear if they hadn't heard that.
1: Well, I'm not sure what he's looking for. I'll tell you what happened to me. We were... I was just soaking and I started having this experience where I was in the river I was seeing it and I realized the river was bigger than I would ever seen it before okay it was huge I mean I couldn't I I couldn't see to the other side of it I couldn't see see the uh, other bank of it it was so huge and as I was doing that uh, Amy uh, you know I was having this experience Amy started singing out of Ezekiel 47 okay Mm -hmm. I was thinking she's singing what I'm Seeing she because she went through it, you know, the ankle, you know, go 1500 feet, the knees, and 1500 more feet that way. So, was that what you want me to share?
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, just so, like you, yeah, what you were
1: saying about how the size of it, yeah, like you were just blown away by, yeah, how I mean, it's were. huge. I mean, and so I felt like that was one of the first time I had ever really had a, a experience where I saw this river being that massive and that big. I've never seen it like that. And I believe that's a prophetic sign that God is wanting to release to us, you know, the greater the greater height, length, breadth, and depth of this river, river of love, river of peace, whatever, you know, whatever aspect, that God's really starting to release that now. Because we need more of it now, more than ever, more than ever. Was that?
0: Yeah, that's good. So, you know, a few months ago, the Lord was really speaking to me about how he wanted to use particularly River Life Fellowship to reach those out there in our community and our world ensnared with the lie of New Age spirituality and even Wicca and all that kind of stuff, because I don't know if you're informed about this, but it's a massive, a massive movement. I mean, it has been for years, and some of you have come out of that type of a movement, and just to uh, give you a specific example, I have a friend who, after, who gr- after growing up in the church, uh, kind of you know walked away from that early on in college, uh, went to Asheville, to college, and got ensnared in all kinds of Wicca stuff and all sorts of things. And uh, two years ago, I, I met with my friend, and he was so far off on just the stuff, that I would try to speak truth to him, and it was like, it was was just complete stoppers in his ears. He couldn't hear it at all. But, what I began to relate to him on a commonality of, uh, well, in in light of like um, heavenly experiences, you know, with Paul's heavenly encounter, 1 Corinthians 12, I think, or is it 2 Corinthians 12? Uh, That type of thing, I began to talk about these heavenly experiences that people have been have been having. And I put it in the language like out-of-body experiences because I knew he could kind of relate to that. Well, I, the only thing I can figure out is because I began to talk to him about the spirit world, somehow it, it caught him in such a way that about six months ago, he he wanted to have lunch and we got together. And the next thing I knew, he had... Not only kind of walked away from that, but because of an intense demonic encounter that was he was having regularly, okay. As we know, you get tripped up in that stuff. That'll begin to happen. Uh, he was beginning to search out a way out of that, basically, so to speak. And today, I mean, he's got some ways to go, but he is—he is, he is basically—he's calling himself. You know, he's uh, confessing. Uh, the Lord and and moving towards these things, realizing that even in his growing up in the church, maybe he didn't quite understand how real God's spirit world was. And because he was by nature naturally a really prophetic person, he kind of honestly he kind of saw and heard things that just most people don't. Let's be honest, and was kind of weird. Even in high school, he was kind of ostracized just because he was a little different. You know. And because the church didn't really have an explanation for that, he found somebody that did have an explanation. And guess what? It's very real. And they know what they're talking about. Unfortunately, it's distorted truth and it's perverted. And and the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy you, and that's the path he's been down for the last three years. But now he's realized, oh, there's a, a different way. There's a path that leads to life. And then not only that, but he called me the other day. He goes, hey, I just met this girl. Who's having such intense demonic experiences, these demons are actually burning her physically. And so he sits down and has coffee with this girl and begins to tell her about, you know, our church and begins to give her hope in Jesus. And he was saying, now this girl grew up, was taught paganism. So she has always hated and despised anything remotely Christian, okay? But now, how many people, if you're desperate enough, you'll do anything. Okay, so this person, this girl is so desperate that now she is considering coming and sitting down and talking with one of the pastors here, you know, and, and maybe get, having somebody pray for her. So you see, I'm really excited about this because I believe that God really has a heart for delivering these, these people out of this bondage and out of this darkness. Alright, so back to the tree. So we've, I've talked about what it is. I've talked about where it is. Now let's talk about who can access it. Well, this really goes back to Revelation 2, 7. And obviously, born-again believers can access it. But specifically, those who, who have an ear to hear. You know, that's the first thing that the angel tells John there. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And that's just simply, uh, you know, unclogging to hearing spiritually. You know, daring to hear spiritually. And then to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, traditionally, this would be interpreted to he who overcomes. Well, what does that mean? Well, he who endures to the end of their life and then passes on into the eternal life in heaven, and that's certainly a valid interpretation. But my submission to you is there is also a, a, a present, inter, a present uh, application and a future application as often happens in Scripture with prophecy, and this being a prophetic book. And the future one is that interpretation. But there's also an overcoming, a pressing through over the carnal world, over the flesh, because, you know, we're born again by the Spirit, but overcoming the carnal nature can be an ongoing battle. How many people can relate with that? You can confess to that. As we overcome those things, and I'll be honest with you, I've got a ways to go, but it's through grace. I'm not feeling beat down by that. I'm just saying, Lord, I've I got a long ways to go. I'm just hitting the tip of the iceberg. As we begin to overcome more and more, the tree of life becomes more and more accessible. Now, it'll be really easy once you're delivered from the carnal completely. You know? But, uh, and that'll be great, but I'm not quite ready to go there yet, you know what I mean? How do you access it? And this is, this is really something that, uh, is somebody ready to go there? (laughs) (laughs) Heard a little rumbling over there. All right, now. All right, this may be really offensive, but I'm sure I've already offended a number of people anyway, but... You take the the monastic arts, for example, or the monks in the Catholic Church for the centuries. I believe, and I really believe, what happens, what has happened over the centuries since the early Church, is there are true spiritual principles and practices that, if if you do them long enough, and you do them lacking revelation enough, they become rote religious. Meaningless, even can be negative things. You understand what I mean? I mean, really, you could do that with anything. For example, uh, Scott Forsyth has this real great revelation about scripture memory, memorizing scripture. Well, for me, be, I think it comes. I was trying to figure out why this is, but the best I can figure is as a young person in a in a high school, a Christian high school, it was like part of the curriculum: memorize all these scriptures. You know, and I'm not saying they did anything wrong. I'm just saying for me, I lack any revelation on memorizing Scripture. To me, it was just part of the academic exercise that I hated. You know what I'm saying? And so then when I became a Christian, it was like I had kind of a disdain secretly, even for that idea, because to me, it, it related with religious just, you know what I'm saying? But then I realized recently, wait a second, that's probably not Right? Actually, I can see how uh, committing passages, even whole chapters, like Scott has the book of Philippians, isn't it, memorized? Like the whole book of Philippians, even committing whole chapters. Yeah, that's a small book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I you to memorize, like, Revelation or something, you know. Um, you know, even committing, though, that, I mean, how uh, much more powerful would it make meditation be, you know what I'm saying? So anyway, getting into that just a bit, I, know, I was reading something I'd read a billion times but had never really gotten this, and that is Psalm 1, 1 through 3. And you guys probably know this well. Uh, Starting in verse 1, "...blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he does what? He meditates day and night. And look what he's going to be like. He shall be like a tree planted by what? The rivers." of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Now here's really interesting. When you look into the Hebrew word meditate there used in Psalm 1-2, it is the word in Hebrew "hagah," H-A-G-A-H. And it means this, to reflect, to moan, to mutter, to ponder, to make quiet sounds such as sighing. (laughs) <laughs> I told my wife, I was like, oh, that's what we're doing. We're meditating. I mean, you know, if you've experienced or at least observed people, for example, whoa, you know, or just kind of this, it's just something you're feeling and you're verbalizing it coming from your belly. That's it right there. Haggah. It's in the Hebrew word right there in the definition. Uh, let me get, keep going here. Haggah or to meditate or contemplate something as one repeats the words. Haggah represents something quite unlike the English meditation, which may be a mental exercise only. In Hebrew thought, to meditate upon the Scriptures is to quietly repeat them in a soft, droning sound while utterly abandoning outside distractions. From this tradition comes a specialized type of Jewish prayer called davening, D-A-V-E-N-I-N-G. That is, reciting texts, praying intense prayers, or getting lost in communion with God while doing the Lou Engel. (laughs) why bowing or rocking back and forth, evidently this dynamic form of meditational prayer goes back to David's time. Now, I'm not submitting to you that we all grow little ringlets, you know, and rock back and forth with a scroll in our hand. That's not what I'm submitting to you at all because honestly, I think those types of descriptions come from, like, for example, two years ago, if you were to come in here with a piece of paper and try to, in words and in writing, describe what the Holy Ghost is doing with somebody on a floor or something like that, you might come up with some. Some uh, similar description in terms of this is what soaking is. So I don't think you know. I don't want to confine meditation to only the repetition of scripture in a droning tone. Are you following me? But at the same time, uh, in in our practice, we've seen the benefit of contemplative prayer, which is one type of meditation, in which usually in a reclined or relaxed position. You focus your mind upon the greatness of God and God begins to do things. <laughs> you know, you, It's not that you, you don't empty your mind as the transcendental movement would teach, but you focus your mind just simply upon the Father and the greatness of who He is. And when you do that, Interestingly enough, things begin to happen like pictures and what we would refer to as visions, which are really kind of mental pictures usually. In some situations, with some people, they can appear physically. But, you know, all these, so that's kind of our definition for soaking. And I'm not an expert on the different forms of meditation, and I'm sure there's a traditional name for this particular type. But another type of meditation would be the reciting of scripture. I would even submit either out loud or I believe certainly you can say these scriptures in your mind over and over. David said I do this day and night. Day and night, day and night. I was thinking of this example, wouldn't you love Byron to memorize John chapter 14 through 16? I mean <laughs> How many people think Byron should do that? Yeah, I, yeah. See, everybody thinks, she, especially the Fortunes. The whole family raised their hand by there. <laughs> I just think that John fourteen through sixteen is so powerful. Let me just give you this excerpt. It's actually John fifteen fifteen. Check this out. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. No longer do I call you servant, but I've called you friends. No longer do I call you servant, but I've called you a friend. No longer a servant, Eric, but a friend. No longer a servant, Paul, but a friend. No longer a servant, Jr., but a friend. No longer a servant, Kim, but a friend. I have called you friends, I've called you a friend. No longer are you a servant, Matthew, but you're a friend. Something goes deep in my spirit as that recitation begins to take place. But I have called you a friend for all things that I heard from my Father, I've made known to you. Well, think about that. For all things I've made known to my Father, I've made known to you. For all things I've made known to my Father. I, I, my father, what is it? <laughs> I'm not, for all things I heard from my father, I've made known to you all the things Jesus that you heard from Daddy. You make known to me all things I, you've heard from the Father. You've now made it known to me all the things. Okay, I'm just giving an example. You see, I really believe that there's there's a form of that meditation that really. Okay, why? Not so we can look cool or you can do it in public. No, because heavenly realms become more accessible. And what I want to submit to you is possibly even here in Psalm 1-3, the tree of life. The tree of life. We're partaking of its fruit. Okay? Let me go, to, go back to that Psalm, uh, Psalm chapter 1 there and I'll finish up here real quickly. Yeah, he shall be like a tree. Okay, go back to verse 2. But his delight is on the, in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates. Haggah. Day and night. Night and day. Alright, go on to the next verse. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Now, I know the traditional interpretation of this, and that's very valid as far as uh, phys- you know, pros- uh, or, uh, uh, just stability in your Christian walk, so on and so forth. But I do not believe it's merely a coincidence that through uh, uh, contemplating the ways of God, the laws of God, the principles of God, that David uses the same analogy as in Ezekiel's vision. And the same analogy of the tree used in John's revelation of Jesus Christ. You understand what I'm saying? It's not an accident. Why? Because in his meditation, he saw heaven. And he said, Oh, I see what it is. As I'm doing this, it's like, well, Ephesians 2. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I see there that I am that tree. Now, this is a whole nother message, but Christ is the tree of life. He was hung on the tree at Calvary, right? That's their traditional teaching on the tree of life. It was in the garden. The tree of life is represented by the cross on Calvary. Jesus now is the tree of life in which we partake. He is in us, right? Or more accurately described, we are in Christ. We're in Christ in heavenly places. We have access. Now, real quickly, here are the benefits. How many people like benefits? If for nothing else, what's it going to do for me? Yeah? <laughs> well, it's all for the glory of God. But here's number one, spiritual food. You remember in John 4, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. Isn't that interesting that He used that analogy? My food. That word is what He used. My food. Well, John Ezekiel 47 Verse 12 that we read said, put that one back up there, said that the tree is for food, right? So spiritual nourishment, of course. Okay, I think of Jesus in the wilderness. You know, spiritual nourishment is what what He was receiving there. And then the second thing here is healing. Physical and emotional or spiritual healing is part of the tree of life. It says it right there. And the leaves are for what? If there's actual, actually a medicinal quality, okay, in the tree of life. It's not a physical leaf that I'm going to go out there and grab off a tree. It's something that I just, I access, you know? Through a contemplation maybe of the covenant God who has made a covenant with His people for healing. Man, as I begin to meditate and repeat those Scriptures, something happens to me spiritually. I don't know, I could even submit to you that it could be a factor in receiving a physical healing. Okay? That's been a teaching, you know. The Word of Faith camp, you know, all that. The leaves are medicinal. I would even, you know, I even wonder, and I'm not saying this is fact, it just is interesting to note that after Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't eat the tree of life. They only chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They were expelled. And, the you know, as I mentioned, the angels blocked the entrance. Why? Because God said, oh, we can't let them back in. Because now if they eat of that, they'll be immortal. And the implication is that in their sinful fallen state, physical immortality would be really, really bad thing if you... If you could not be saved and you live forever, you wouldn't want to go there and God knew that. So I'm just pondering, could the tree of life in the garden actually have been the mythological or the, 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 the mythical fountain of youth? you know, that everybody is sought for. It seems like that's kind of what God is saying. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, there's some tree somewhere we need to go out and find, because obviously um, it's not a physical tree. But I'm just pointing out that there are healing properties as we access the tree of life. Alright, last, Proverbs lists four things in its, uh, in its wisdom that the tree of life um, offers and I want to just shoot through these real quick. Proverbs 3:18. She in this passage is wisdom. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. All right, go on to the next one. Proverbs 11:30. A tailbearer, oh that should be 11:30, not 11:13, but I'll just grab that real quick. I don't think tailbearing is on the tree of life. There. <laughs> 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. The fruit of the righteous. Alright, look at Proverbs 13.12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. Okay, and then the last one, Proverbs 15.4, A wholesome tongue, we've heard about the tongue recently, is what? A tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Okay, so what I want to submit to you is it can work in both ways. This is equating is saying these things are a tree of life, but I would also submit to you that you could infer that these things are also obtained through the tree of life. In other words, access of the tree of, not, of life, Jesus Himself, in heaven, the spiritual realm brings wisdom, brings true fulfillment in your life, or the desire fulfilled, brings good spiritual fruit, Galatians 5:22, the fruit of the spirit, and it brings the ability, the self-control to speak life-giving words. How many people want that? It, in some uh, translations, it's actually hearing words. I'm going to speak a healing word into your soul. I'm going to speak a healing word into your spirit. Where does that come from? Well, garbage in, garbage out maybe. I don't know. As we meditate upon the real living principles of God's Word, those things will begin to just flow out of our mouths and affect the atmosphere. Amen? Alright, so I want to pray and then Marlon, whatever you feel like. So Lord, we just thank You for... Uh, The privilege of being a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. Lord, it is is just so awesome, Father, to be called a friend, and not not a servant, not just a servant, but that You have revealed, Lord, to us everything You heard the Father say. It's been revealed to You, and, and You've revealed it to us. And Lord, I just pray this morning that You would unclog any spiritually deaf ears in this room this morning, God. and Holy Spirit, I just thank You for who You are and Your power. And uh, if you want to just receive an impartation, I'll be so bold as just to step out there in faith and just pray this prayer. So you just receive it however you want to. Lord, I just ask You, Father, to impart revelation visions, dreams of the tree of life in the heavenly realm, and all the fruit that comes with it, all the healing that comes with it, Lord. Lord, impart it today into your people, Lord, that we might truly walk in everything you've called us to walk in, in your name. Amen.